Welcome to another fascinating episode of Resilient Entrepreneurs, the podcast that explores the stories and strategies behind successful entrepreneurs in the hope that something you hear will leave your business a little richer. We're your hosts, Vicki and Laura, and today we're excited to introduce hypnotherapist, author, and an intuitive reader from Ashland, Oregon, Jill K. Thomas. Jill's books are The High Income Healer, Tales from the Trance, Feed Your Real Hunger, and for the past 18 years has been practicing hypnotherapy. Now, if you've ever struggled to overcome the personal obstacles that keep you from realizing your personal professional or financial goals and dreams, lean into this episode. Welcome, Jill. It is so good to have you on the show today. Well, thank you so much. I'm so excited to be here. And I love that you you enunciated the K in the Jill K. Thomas, because there is another author named Jill Thomas who wrote books on Japanese and obviously quite a different topic. So glad, glad to hear you say that very well. Thank you for that, Vicki. So much fun. You're very welcome. <laughs> Got to get the name right at the very least. Absolutely. <laughs> Absolutely. I definitely appreciate that as a Laura Bell. It's quite a common name too. And there are other Laura Bells in Bermuda where I'm from. So uh, I've been using my middle name, Anne, just to differentiate myself just a little bit. Seriously. You did you to. buy the domain? Did you buy the I did. domain? I did. <gasps> I own lauraannbell.com. Yes, I did. Check me out. I have my own website. <laughs> you know, if I can say one thing to entrepreneurs right away, anybody who's a solopreneur and where your business is you, please go to GoDaddy or wherever you buy domains and try to get your name. Try to get your name before it's gone. That way you're going to keep some stripper or some some nude shot person from buying it. And trust me, do that right now. Do right now. Just pause this and do it right now. Just saying. I- the best advice ever given on this podcast is just right there. Go buy awesome. your domain. At domain. I, that is great advice. Thanks. Tell us a little bit, Jill, about your context of you growing up. You're do, into hypnotherapy. This is what you do. This is fascinating. We haven't spoken to someone like you before. So we're really excited about this conversation. But we need to know a little bit about your background. So tell me, like, was this something you recognized in yourself from very young? What was your childhood like? I uh, didn't have a great childhood. Sadly, I'm sure a lot of people can relate to this. I did grow up in a house with a lot of violence, a lot of abuse, a lot of anger. And um, my mother has agoraphobia and she also has acute anxiety disorder. Lots and lots of anxiety. So as a kid, I was trying to figure out how to fix mom so that I could be happier and that so that I could be safer. So here I am, a little kid trying to fix all the grownups in my world. And on an unconscious level, I was actually practicing being a hypnotherapist, even though before I knew what that was, because I was trying to have conversations, trying to solve. I was actually going to the library at like 10, grabbing books on anxiety so I could understand it. So in a way, I was training way before it became a thing in my life. Uh, But when I really got excited about hypnotherapy specifically was when I went to a (laughs) grad night in high school. We had Marshall Silver. He is a famous hypnotist. He did a stage show where he made like the most popular kids in school do a lot of crazy things on stage. And I'm like, I want in, I I want in, I want to learn that because to me it was magic because I didn't understand how it worked. And then when you learn it, you're like, it's not magic. still cool. That was really, really cool, but it wasn't magic, but it was really neat to watch. That's where it got exciting to me because then I could see the conversation piece that I always love doing. I was always the girlfriend people would go to with problems. 
and the let's fix it. So instead of just talking, now we can fix it at the same time with this tool called hypnotherapy, which is really not that different than meditation, quite frankly. I know somebody's going to yell at the at the computer saying, no, 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 it's entirely different. No, it's kind of the same thing. Just saying, just saying. So then Jill, how did you join this talent, this incredible talent um, that clearly came quite naturally to you and you were deeply inquisitive about to turn that into a business? Well, it started off with not turning it into a business. It started off with doing it as a, as a side hustle, as for fun, right? I, so I hypnotized all my friends to lose weight. I hypnotized all of them to get better golf games. Oh, you're afraid of something? Come on over, right? And then somebody says, you know, people will give you money for that. And I'm like, whoa, I love money. Love money. Money is a good thing. And if I have money to do what I do, then I can offer it to more people. And really the first few years I did it, it was just for fun, but I got better at it before I was charging people. So in a way it was like, it was almost like an internship. I was doing it for free for fun. And then I got really good at it to the point before I was having to collect money and being in integrity with that. And uh, when I turned it into a business, by the time I actually did turn it into a business, it was really, really good, really good. Yeah, that's kind of the best way to get into something like that is to to do it for free. Give it away. We we believe that. We preach that too. If you have a talent, give it away as much as you can. And then the success will, will just flow because you're right. The person will just unlock that information for you. Like, hey, did you know you can get paid to do this? And you're like, oh, totally. okay. How do I love that? Really? I love money. <laughs> I got the flow down, right? Because you, when you go to school as a hypnotherapist, anybody who's listening is interested in this. They sell you a script book. They teach you how to do it. And they sell you a script book. And they say, hey, do this with clients. It's going to work every time. It doesn't work every time, right? You, the script book was written by somebody who has never worked with somebody who's morbidly obese and is eating because they're emotionally upset, right? So getting to practice that before there's money involved was actually really, really helpful because I could realize, okay, well, that doesn't work. Well, this does work. And I could do that in a safe space where there wasn't people judging me because they paid me a hundred dollars an hour and I didn't really help them with their problem. Yeah. Is there a big difference between hypnotherapy and counseling? Like, is there a little bit of a crossover between the two? There's quite a bit of a crossover between the two. I actually refer a lot of people to counselors because if they have a genuine mental illness like um, bipolar disorder, borderline personality disorder, or schizophrenia, that's really out of scope for what I do. Also, if somebody comes to me and they're hypnotized, particularly with when people have these memories, like repressed memories, a lot of you'd be surprised how often these repressed memories are actually sexual violation. So we when we bury it, right? I'm not necessarily the right person to talk to if you want to talk about that rape that happened when you were 16 on a date. So when we bring those things up or if they come up, I generally will refer them out to a counselor. And sometimes we'll work together, right? The counselor works on the talkie-talkie part, and I work on the making it so the person is comfortable getting in a car again. That's the feeling. Because it... The mind and the feeling is what goes together. So, so they're imagining going on a date and then they're feeling that physical anxiety. We can do that with hypnotherapy. We can actually detach that reaction so that they can get into the car, use their logical mind to determine if they're safe and still not have a panic attack on a, on a, on a first date with a new person, if that makes sense. Makes a lot of sense. Is there anything that you cannot hypnotherapize away? I'm sure that's a word I just made up. Oh, that's you a good know question. I mean. Yeah, that's a very good question. Uh, there are quite a few things that I would rather them see a psychotherapist for or psychiatrist. I can't think of anything specifically where I did it. 
wouldn't be helped. I would say that there are people who do alien abduction issues. I don't do them because I'm not, I, I just have, I've seen so little of it that I would rather them go to somebody who specializes in it because they can help with that repressed memory and also the, to attach the fear because that's so specialized. But I would say certain things that are really highly specialized like that, going to hypnotherapist who specializes in it would be a good option. The other one, there is one thing that comes to mind though, that hypnotherapy doesn't seem to work that well for, although I will say having said that there's, there's always somebody who says they're really good at it, uh, would be OCD obsessive compulsive disorder seems to be, and I've tried, I tried working with people just to see if I could really help them as experiment for free, of course, and just moderate results at best, but it wasn't really a home run. So it does seem like there may be something with that one. That's a little bit physical. Interesting. Interesting. I'm sure some people listening are going to wonder, how do you take something like hypnotherapy and make a business out of it? So tell us a bit about creating the business side of what you do. Well, the first thing you have to do is you have to figure out what the laws are in your community. So in my particular community at the time, I was in the state of California. I knew that I was allowed to call myself a hypnotherapist. In some states, you have to call yourself a hypnotist, not hypnotherapist, which hypnotist typically refers to stage shows. But the counselors, meaning the psychotherapists, have lobbied the state to say, hey, uh, hypnotherapists aren't really therapists. There's confusion there. Have to call themselves a hypnotist. So you have to find out what the law is in your particular state. Also in the state of California, because what I do skates on the edge of counseling, I do, most of us need to become a member of the clergy. So I am technically Reverend Jill Thomas because I do offer spiritual advice and counseling. But the basic thing just applies to any business. So you go and get a business license, you check the domain to make sure that it's not taken, apply for the the $15, I think it was $20, fictitious business name business. And if you in a state where you can do an LLC, uh, inexpensively limited liability corporation. I would recommend that, but talk to a lawyer. Obviously they know that better than I do. And it's kind of just the same process as any business. And then you work on, you set up a Yelp account, you set up a Google account, and then you beg everyone you've ever given a free session to, to give you a review. That's where you start. Is that your That's primary marketing strategy? It was Review? in the beginning because it was all word of mouth, right? And then I put a few ads in and I will tell you in the beginning, I, I sadly, I know a lot of people listening have had this experience. I wasted a lot of money on things that didn't do anything. And there is something worse than putting an ad in and having nobody call. It's putting an ad in the paper and having lots of people call trying to sell you something and wasting your time, right? We've all, unfortunately, a lot of us have had that experience and you had to pay for that privilege, right? Usually not, usually not a small amount. So I would tell anybody in this situation, experiment with the things that don't cost a lot. I will tell you that ad that produced and has consistently produced the best business was just some $30 ad I put in the Sierra Club newsletter, right? That comes out every every other month. And every time I put it in, I get a customer or two. And it was just, it was cheap. Basically a donation to the Sierra Club, which is a, a environmental organization, but it was just a tiny little 10 word ad. It was awesome. Isn't that interesting? So you're touching into your market, tapping into your market and seeing where People are and staying local sometimes. Yeah. And just like not spending a lot of money to figure out what resonates, right? Because if you're going to experiment, try to do it on the cheap. Everything's an experiment in the beginning. Are people really going to be interested in this or who's going to be interested in trying to figure out, am I going to resonate more with 30 to 50 year old women or am I going to resonate with men? What's kind of my sweet spot? And that 
you just don't want to waste a ton of your vital cash flow resources in the beginning on experimenting. Try to make these ads small. Try to do things on the cheap as much as you can while you're figuring out how that works. Yeah. And it's a good tip on the email marketing. I think that's such an overlooked aspect of marketing. You can have your own email and have your own email list that you regularly, you know, send stuff to, but also you can tap into other people's newsletters. There's always communities that send out newsletters and different organizations. And so look at that in your local area. That's just a good advice for any startup, small business owner to just tap into those resources. They're, they're there. And like you said, usually quite cheap, sometimes just free, especially if you can give something back. So free first, you know, 15 minute consultation, or if you could offer something that's a bit of a give, it's even more likely to get free into somebody's newsletter. So great tip for everybody out there. Well, I love what you just said about the newsletters because I'm a writer, so I have no trouble writing a ton of con more content than anybody could ever want to read but people don't like necessarily to write so sometimes they'd be willing to put you as a guest blogger right that can be free if you're willing to write a 300 400 word article and i don't know i mean i think the most the article that did the best the one that went viral that is still by by far the, my most popular article was like nine ways to know if you were an alien in a past life and i wrote it and i i wrote it thinking this is garbage like who's gonna read this <laughs> And it's still by far the most popular blog I've ever written. But people will take these little bit of articles if you'll write them for them and let you be a guest blogger. And you don't have you, a lot of times you don't have to pay for that. It's not a sponsor. As long as it's not pitchy, I'm not pitching anything. I don't care if you like it. Great. Call me. If you don't, I don't care. That's it was free, right? If you don't, it was free. <laughs> so, but as long as it's not pitchy, you can often be a guest blogger on people's newsletters. Yeah, that's such great advice. And speaking about writing, you've written three books, right? Oh my God, I know. That's so just wild. Work. I know. Like, so tell us a little bit about the process of that, because we know a lot of people listening want to write a book, have a book inside of them. It's on their sort of bucket list. They're to do on the back shelf somewhere. The process of it is daunting for most people. No kidding. Yeah, I, I, <laughs> I always refer to it as being pregnant with the book because what will happen is it'll start to wake you up at night come on, write that thing about that dog with that guy. Okay, fine. But can we please wait until nine o'clock in the morning? Cause I'm asleep here. That's what happens. You start to get these birth pains. I will tell you the best way to do it is not to overthink it. Everybody always overthinks that they try to do the big massive outline. They get an editor, they do market research. Honestly, especially for people like me, most books do not make a lot of money for authors. Most books really don't. So don't overthink it. Start with what you want to write. When I wrote my books, I always tried to do like 650 words a day, which is for me about 30 minutes of writing. And so I would put on like Chopin and I have Cat in the Lap and I would say 45 minutes, leave me alone, don't bother me and type, type, type type, 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 and not hit the backspace button. Because as soon as you hit that backspace button, now you're editing it. You're going out of your creative mind and into your editor mind, the critical mind that says, hey, the comma's not in the right spot. Okay, well, it's not, right? You can pay somebody to fix that. Don't worry about it. Just write, write, write. Let it be a stream of consciousness. Don't try to do six hours at a time. A lot of people will say, I'm going to write it this weekend. I'm going to do this. Don't do that to yourself. Just 45 minutes, focus. That's it. That's about 600, 700 words. So if you do that every single day for 100 days, you'll have a book because that's 65,000 words. It's about 155 pages, roughly. So I, I always tell people, if you're pregnant with a book, start writing it because things like the book get me on podcasts just like this. Um, they get my name out there. Have I sold a million copies? Not yet. 
right? Of any of them? Not yet. But I get a lot of clients from those books. It's almost like running a marathon. It's something that no one can ever take away from you. It's an accomplishment that I did and I only had to do it once, <laughs> you know. Maybe I still have to do some Amazon ads, whatever. But it's it's done and it's an accomplishment that can't go anywhere and it's always going to be next to my author of the book, whatever author of the three books, author of there's a fourth one that that I took off because I was like, eh, it needs some, needs some more work. It wasn't my best work, but whatever. Author of all that stuff is always going to be associated with my name. So Jill, are you pregnant again? I am. Oh my God. I'm like, dude, can you, can I just have a little bit of a break? Cause the other one just, just came out in January. And I'm like, eh. the book is on overspending. It's not just overspending. It's our overconsumption, conscious overspending, our over- emotional eating and emotional spending are basically the same problem. But also the way we as consumers over over consume a little the little plastic wrappings on everything that we eat, a lot of the things that we do over consume over consumption in general. And I think it's part of our culture here in, in this country, more food, more eating, more buying, more having. But as the economy starts to slide into what I appear, I what I believe is coming as a recession is that we're going to be needing more of those coins and less of that stuff. And so that's kind of where the book is is at right now. But yeah, I am pregnant again. Mm, congratulations. Uh, yeah, it's going to take a while. <laughs> it's a lot of work. It is a lot of work. I, I will want be to know more. So why is this a topic that you feel the need to write about? Like, what is it about the overconsumption that you, what's your point of topic on this? Emotional eating and emotional spending are really the same problem. So when I'm working with people on weight loss, what I was noticing is that they almost all had money problems too. And they would go, they were just using food and money and shopping as a way of changing how they felt. So when you're healing one problem, you may not necessarily be healing the other problem. So when I, with the topic of this book, this this in process, uh, is about how do you heal both of those at the same time and get to the root and deal with not allowing myself to feel how I feel or live my life or experience life without stuffing it down with food or shoes or any of the emotional things that we do online and online shopping made it a lot easier. And that book, that book has been kind of in the works for about 10 years because I really wanted to do it with the weight loss book that I wrote, but I kind of just wanted to focus on weight loss for that one. But that, that book is the other thing I want to include in there is things about even when we die, when we die, our bodies, we burn them up, right? There's this company in in Washington that's now doing composting of the human body, which I think is the coolest thing. And I want to, I want to have her, I want to talk to her and, and see if I can interview the person who started that company and, and make it a chapter in the book. But that's, that's where that comes from. Yeah. Ooh, that's mind blowing. So I wonder if the reverse is true. Let me know if this is outside of the scope of what you're talking about but for someone who is always tight with money or there's never enough money and they're very restrictive with their diet yeah that makes a lot of sense I wouldn't necessarily see that person as a client because that frugalness would probably keep them from coming in right because then they'd have to pay me (laughs) but that does make sense I I know that when you're thinking about, I've worked with clients on this issue with the flow of money. When you think of money as not a good thing or as something that to hold on to or to be fearful of, you are sort of putting a, you're, you're putting a stop on it. The flow of money, money comes and goes. It's like blood. It's part of life. And 
the ebb and flow of money, when you allow it to ebb and flow naturally on its own without holding holding on so tightly. I mean, I may be putting money in the bank and saving it for some TLT, some bonds, some bonds, long-term bonds, but that doesn't mean I don't see it as, as being in flow. Right. And I, I'm certainly, if I really want something, I'll go buy it or I find a way to make it happen. But that's kind of how you have to be when it terms comes to money. Think of it as an ebb and a flow rather than even when there's restriction, try not to think of it as restriction. Think of it as, okay, I'm choosing not to purchase that at this time, or I'm choosing to shift my energy into different ways. Even if it's just, I want to, I, unfortunately, I just have to spend my money on food and not shoes. Try to shift that mindset. So you're thinking about it that way, rather than thinking about, oh, I can't, I don't have, because then you're putting more, I don't, I can't, and I don't have in your mindset and bringing in more of that energy. Yeah, I hear that. We've been talking a bit this year about a looming recession and what that's going to look like. And our mindset as entrepreneurs and people that talk to entrepreneurs every week, we see it as a time for creativity because when you look back in history, every major depression, recession, just tight economy is when creativity spikes high because the thing that entrepreneurs have, the magic secret sauce is that we see a need and we fill that need. And often it's a need we have or something that you know has been annoying us or bugging us or just sort of in our sphere. So we're like, that thing needs to be fixed. And entrepreneurs, this is the time to fix it. Like this is the time to get creative. And whether that's just, you know, you have a job, but you want to start a side hustle on this thing, or you've already got one thing going and you just want to, you see another sort of path that is needed. So go down that path. This is a time to really get creative and fix things because every business that does that, that has that mindset in a tough economy is the ones that succeed after it because they're on the growth stage where everyone else is getting tight, pulling it. And we're marketers. So we know that marketing budget gets totally. pulled back real quick. That's the first thing most people pull back. And it's like the biggest mistake most businesses make because all of a sudden they're not the squeaky wheel. They're not getting the oil. Somebody else who still is plugging away and doing things on the cheap, like you said, getting in those newsletters or doing that social media or or doing the thing just to keep themselves out there. They're building and growing while everyone else is hiding away. What's that Warren Buffett quote? Vicky, do you recall what I'm talking about where he says when everyone oh, zigs, like, you zag? There's that one. But there's something similar to that. Like when everyone is like being tight with their money, you spend. And when everyone starts spending, you start pulling back. Oh, yeah. Warren Buffett. Yeah. The in- investment. I, yeah. I butchered it. I butchered yeah. it. No, I, I butchered love it. it. I love right. it. We get the gist. I, I think of people going through this right now because I do see the, the recession coming. And right now, if you can start a business right now and get it going and get it moving now, imagine how much better it's going to be growing when things really are growing. So if you can figure out how to do this with a few coins, if you can figure out how to do it with creative, you know, using creative mindsets, you're going to be in such a better position. This is actually when my business really took off was in the last dumpster fire recession that we had, because I had to learn how to advertise on the cheap, how to be more creative, how to expand my offering so that I always had something that everyone could afford. That's something that's, especially for a business like mine, try to find something that you can offer to customers that everybody could afford at any price point so that people aren't going to your website and saying, oh, you charge $100 an hour. That's not available to be right now. But people go to my website and they see that and they go, well, yeah, but maybe I could buy a book or maybe I could buy one one of her online training programs or something like that. If you have a inexpensive 
offering that you can give to everyone, that's really the way to go. But I, I love what you just said, because it's, there's so many opportunities in this kind of a situation, because a lot of people are just going to tap out. And so your competition's going to tap out or the people who are stuck with, this is the way it's always been. This is the way we've always done that. That is so wrong. It's so limiting. Looking at where the market is going and figuring out how to do it. I had a friend who had a restaurant during the the cough. We'll just call it the cough. Uh, and he he was uh, seeing what was happening and started to change his menu before everything closed down to make bigger meals that people could just take at home because he knew that was what was going to end up happening. And he took them, he took the beef off his menu and started just having chicken because it was cheaper. And he knew that people were going to want that. So start to look at where's the ball going and how can I get ahead of what's happening? And it, Sometimes it's going to mean hodling coins. Sometimes it's going to mean just shifting your marketing to things that don't cost a lot, figuring out ways to work together with other entrepreneurs and borrowing their newsletter list and doing group events. Group events is a great one because when I do a group event, I, I can charge like 15 bucks for it and, and get 25 people in, and make more than if I did a private session. And all of these people got to have the benefit, just like a group exercise class got to exercise, but they didn't have to hire the personal trainer. And that's, that's really what's, I think, key with entrepreneurs is using that creative stuff. And I love how you just said that. That was perfect. So good job. So Jill, what's your favorite thing about being an entrepreneur? Oh my God. Okay. So I'll give you a quick story. In San Diego, there's something called the San Diego County Fair. And around the 4th of July, there's monster truck jumping. And I love it. The inner redneck in me loves watching monster truck jumping at the Del Mar Fair, usually with a very big cinnamon roll with lots of whipped cream and um, you know cherries. Love that. But I can do that on a Thursday at noon when all my friends who have job jobs are in their cubicles selling their stuff. And I'm just watching the monster trucks eating my cherries and just loving it. But I might work later. You know, that's what I would say is the most fun thing about being an entrepreneur, not to quote pretty woman, not to quote a prostitute, but I will. I say who I say when, and I say how much, and most importantly, I say when, and that's one of the most important things for me personally, because I don't mind working at 1130 at night, but if I want to watch monster truck jumping on a Thursday or collective soul at the Del Mar fairground on a Wednesday, I can do that. And I love that. I love that about being an entrepreneur. Jill, you're hilarious. I Honestly, just I love adore that I, you. I love that I'm the only person that can fire me. Love that too. Oh, that's so good. I'm the only person that could. Some days I want to fire myself. Oh, totally. <laughs> so speaking of firing yourself, have you ever like in this journey gone, okay, that's it. I, I just want to quit. I can't yes. do this. Tell us about that. Every July. No, uh, every July it gets a little slow. And every year I go through this right in July, I go, oh my God, my business is not over. Nobody's calling, right? Because it's usually the, the July is slower. I have less clients. Maybe I have eight or nine in a month rather than the 30 or 35 I normally have. And every, every July I go, oh my God, I think it's I think it's done. I think it's just not going to happen anymore. And I have to remind myself this happens every July. And so I sit down and I start writing my marketing stuff for the year. That's what usually, honestly, if you've read a blog or a newsletter, most of the time it was written either in July or December. That's what July and December are for me. These are newsletters and marketing writing content months is what they are now. But yeah, no, I have every year, every year. Absolutely. <laughs> and for that reason. 
I was gonna say, I can so relate to that because um, in my business too, the, the, July goes so quiet and you're like, where's everybody? What's happening? Yeah, they've all found other designers. They don't want to work with me anymore. And are they and coming back? Are they gonna come back? Just on the off day, relax. <laughs> <laughs> it's summer, they're at the beach. They're getting the sun. They're outside. They don't want to work. And it's so funny because it's so true. And that's a really good thing to understand about entrepreneurship is that there are going to be months that are going to be different than others. And when you're sort of ready to take the leap, perhaps you're working a nine to five and you're like, oh, okay, I could do this entrepreneurship thing. You have to understand that there are definitely cycles in business and there's definitely that roller coaster. And there'll be some months where there'll be very little and clients will all go on holiday at the same time. And you just kind of have to prepare for that. And then with experience, you just kind of learn that, okay, this is normal. So this is what I'm going to do during those months. Vicky and I will often do strategy. Like we'll be like, okay, it's time to buckle down. Let's work on our strategy for the next six months. What does the next year look like? Because it just kind of gets quiet. And it's just good to know that. That's really just a good thing to understand. So anybody out there that's like thinking about it, you got to save a little extra in May and June to prepare for July. And then you just, you know, find something else to do to build. And then I think if you spend July building, right, August looks better, September looks better, then everyone's back in the flow by October and grinding out that last quarter of the year. Love it, love it, love it. And honestly, when I start putting my mindset to, okay, July, I'm going to be writing newsletters. I am happy not to write newsletter. I'm happy not to write a single newsletter in July if all the customers show up. Yeah, they usually don't though, but that's okay. December too, actually. December can be hit and miss. Sometimes it can be really busy and sometimes it can be really slow, but I plan on writing content in December usually. All right. So for all you Aussies out there listening to this podcast, Jill K. Thomas is your hypnotherapist that we will be directing you to. July is not summer in Australia. In fact, it is winter when everybody is home. Jill works remotely, entirely remotely. So Jill, you might have just, um, careful what you wish for, is all I'm going to say. Careful oh, what I you wish that. for. I'll accept that. I'll take that. <laughs> all right. Good advice to think, you know, if we start thinking more global, right, and less local, you got to realize, like, our summer on this hemisphere is de- very different from the southern hemisphere. So when things slow down here, maybe they're speeding up down there. So how do you reach a bigger audience? How do you expand into Australia? Maybe there's just a Facebook ad you need to run in Australia as your location because you work remotely, Joan. I think that's important to talk about, like, um, because most people would think you would come to a hypnotherapist and need to be in person. I need to sit down and lay on your couch while you're talking me through this past life regression or whatever the, the thing is that they're coming for, but you actually work remotely, which I find really interesting. So tell us why that works for you. I, it works well because it works well for the client, right? The client can have their cat on them. They're on their couch. They've got their doggies. Their kids are in the next room. So they're not having to worry about them setting fire to the house while they go over to my office. They didn't have to get in traffic. They didn't have to try and find a parking spot. They didn't have to show up 10 minutes late and then need to go to the bathroom. None of that is true when you're doing a Zoom call. I started doing remote because I was getting, actually because the first book came out, I started getting a lot of clients from England. For some reason, my weight loss book, I think it was because Paul McKenna is kind of a famous hypnotist in England, wrote a book on weight loss that came out about the same time as mine did. So I started getting a lot of clients from England. And so I had to do it remote. And then it just discovered it was so much better for them and for me. It was better all around. People are more relaxed in their own space. They are much more inclined to tell you the truth when they're in their own space because they're not thinking about what is she thinking of me? 
is she the same political party that I am? I don't care. I'm not anybody. I'm not affiliated with any political party. But when they're in their own space, they're acting like themselves. There's a higher level of honesty that happens too. I know everybody seems to think that they need to come in, but it's not really true. You actually get more out of it when you do it from your own space. And actually it's easier to hypnotize a person in their own environment. And it works perfectly well. Cause I don't have, to, I don't touch people, you know, for what I do. I don't, I'm not a massage therapist. I don't have to touch anyone. So it's all remote and it works really well, especially I also do psychic readings and the psychic readings. It is hundred percent better reading when it's, when it's remote far better. Absolutely. Why? Isn't that fascinating? Yeah. Why? Why because is it better psych for the psychic readings, I, I'm just curious. It's easier to tune into them when they're not in front of me for some reason. I'm also not getting through the fluff of their. You know, everybody puts up a persona, right? We want people to think certain things about us. Our impression management, but when they're when they're just for via Zoom, they're in their own space. When I'm tuning into them, they're feeling like them in their own environment, and then it's actually easier to tune into their spirit guides that way. I, I can't necessarily tell you why, but also too, if they're anxious, which a lot of people are, if they've never done a psychic reading, they're afraid, oh my God, is she going to tell me that my dog's going to die? No, I'm not. I'm not. I'm not telling you that because it's not happening. Your dog's not going to die. It's going to live forever. They might be nervous about that. And I can pick up on that anxiety and I sort of have to wade through that water to get to the essence of their soul, to get the messages that their spirit guides want them to have. Uh, and that doesn't happen as much when they're via Zoom. So I, I can know that they're anxious and know that I'm not going to be, that I have to be careful with my words, um, but I'm not going to get overwhelmed by that feeling as much when it's remote. So Jill, you talked about hypnotherapy being very much a trained skill. Yeah. I suspect that psychic readings is not so trained more. Oh in no, parent. I actually took classes. No, I took a lot of classes for that. I have always been intuitive. I've always been able to see and hear spirit guides, but before I started taking training and I'm sure other psychics will probably tell you the same thing before I started taking training, a lot of the information I would get would be random. So if, if, if you were sitting in front of me, I might be getting little random bits. I can see a new car that you're going to buy. I can see a job that you're going to get. I can see that you're moving to this place. I can see that you're, you know, but you might be wanting to know, should I be dating Bob or Bill, right? When I started taking classes, I got better at tuning into what the client was wanting to know rather than what I was just little getting random bits of information. Maybe you're not interested in the job. Maybe you just want to know about these two guys that you're dating and which one's better for me. And sometimes the answer is that neither of them is any good and keep looking, right? But that... I did take maybe like a three-year program to learn how to get better at it. And, and the big part of a three-year program was really practicing if I was in a safe environment, knowing if I was wrong or not. I'll give you a quick example. I was practicing mediumship and the person was asking me about their soulmate. And I'm like, they're gorgeous. They've got black hair, blue eyes. They're really gorgeous. He's just so cute. And the lady was like, you know, I'm, I'm a lesbian. So my soulmate is not going to be a dude. And it was good for me to, okay, let's tune in. How is the energy different? And I started realizing, okay, I was still getting, I'm still getting a person, but I was like, oh, there's like a feminine edge to it. Oh, now, now I understand. What does it feel like when I'm tuning into somebody who's a very masculine lesbian? Now I kind of have a sense of what that's like, so I can give a better, more accurate beating the next time that person comes to me. So that was really, really helpful. But yeah, no, I had a lot of practice and a lot of training. That those training for for psychic readings is a little bit harder to find, I will tell you. 
I can imagine. And also you would still need to have that inherent. I, I mean, are you going to tell me that mm, every one yeah. of us can connect with spirits with the I right think training? Everyone else, I think everyone else can, but it's just like playing the piano, right? Everyone can play the piano. It doesn't mean everybody's going to be Chopin, right? Some people are going to be better at doing it well than others, but I think everyone can do. Everybody does have intuitive messages. Every Both of you guys do. I'm sure you're driving. Someplace feels better than another. Maybe I feel like I should go left here instead of right here. And then you find out later there was an accident. That that doesn't take any training. That's just part of your natural intuition, particularly if either one of you have children, you're always going to, you're going to know if your kids are up to no good. I'm just, I'm just saying, right. You're going to be able to feel that. But to be able to get to where you could do a reading for a client, that would take practice. Also, there are a lot of people who's, who say, well, I didn't have to have any practice. It came to me naturally. And there's nothing wrong with that. I have a natural skill too. But to be able to get who's not your client, who's not the right person. Sometimes people come in for readings who are genuinely mentally ill and really should be seeing a psychotherapist instead. Being able to tune in and sort of understand when this person really needs some genuine mental health and they're just trying to get cheap mental health, you know, with a psychic reading, have somebody tell them everything's going to be okay. You are loved. Because most of the time, honestly, what most people really would just want to know is that they are loved, that they're valued, that they're cared about. And honestly, as a psychic, when you start by conveying that to the person, that's the most important message that you could ever give because everybody seems to forget that they're important, that they're loved, particularly when the world hands you lots of not nice things all at once. It's easy to say, God doesn't love me anymore. No, that's not how it works. God loves you. <laughs> oh my gosh. I'm just thinking here. I'm curious. How do you protect your energy? Because you deal with a lot of energy and a lot of input. How do you just take care of you? What, what's your routine for taking care of yourself? In between sessions, I do have a little ritual, smudge the room in between sessions um, to scatter other people's energy. Cause it's not just about me. It's also about disconnecting so that I'm not giving Janie's information to John. Right? <laughs> so I have to disconnect and, and send their spirit guides on the way, you know, thank you. Thank you for sharing next. Right. But that is actually a lot easier with zoom. I will tell you their energy is not as in my space when they're not in front of me. So I would say if you're concerned about protecting your energy, doing it virtually is really the way to go. It's really rare for anything to sort of stick around. And if it does, I just, I do extra smudging and I, okay, thanks for sharing, but time to move on guys. It's out, out, scoot, scoot, scoot. And I've been doing this long enough so that they don't, that doesn't really happen as much to me. But I, I understand people's concerns because they're always afraid that they're going to be tapping into something dark, but that's kind of unusual because keep in mind that my own spirit guides are the gatekeepers too. It's like, okay, this dark thing, the shadow thing that the client needs to work on is usually that dark energy is usually their own shadow self, their own negative things. A lot of times, especially if the person had ever been a drug addict, um, that shadow will actually kind of look to me, I, it looks like the Grim Reaper sometimes, but it, it really is just a drug addiction that they're not managing. And so for me, it's helpful to see that so I can hand them that information. Hey, I know that there may be some experimenting. It's time to start to look for a way to heal that because it's not, it's not helping you and your guides really want you to let that go so that you can move on to the next amazing thing that's been waiting in the wings for you. But yeah, it's, it's not as scary as you might think. Fascinating. Jill, what is your most proudest moment in business or in life? Ooh, that's a good one. Uh, probably that third book 
that third book was the one I self-published the third book because the second book, which had a publisher, it does have a publisher. <laughs> Ozark Mountain Publishing published my second book, Tales from the Trance, which I love. I'm grateful for that. But I will tell you that as an entrepreneur, I'm also a bit of a control freak. And I realized that having a publisher wasn't as ideal for me because I couldn't say when it was published. I couldn't say what the cover was. I couldn't say what the title was. I didn't have a lot of say, and I want to have a lot of say. So that third book, the cover was beautiful. The title was beautiful. I love the typesetting. To me, that was probably my proudest moment because I gave birth to this thing and I feel like it's just perfect and I'm excited about it. Um, and I didn't, I wasn't necessarily sure that I was as excited about the first two books because I feel like there was other hands sort of adjusting it, making changes. And I, the finished product wasn't necessarily as, as amazing as I wanted it to be. But with this third one, I felt like it was really amazing. So yeah, that would be, I, that's it. Brilliant. Oh, and we exactly. should remind people that they can get it on Amazon. Yeah? I can get it on All Amazon. three of them. Absolutely. Okay. Right. I would encourage yeah. that because they're great yes. books. <laughs> Particularly the third one. It's on all We encourage it. So <laughs> what is your third one? Is that the High Income Healer? Book? High Income Healer. Thing? Yeah, we we spent a lot. Everybody thinks the, you know, the title would just come to you. But we spent a lot of time futzing with how, the title, that, especially the word healer, because healer is a little triggering. A lot of people don't think of themselves as healers, but the high income person who does intuitive energy as part of their work didn't really resonate very well. So I had to encapsulate it into that one world. So we settled on healer. But yes, that's where I explain start to finish how to get into the mindset of creating a healing art business because people who use their intuition in their business, like I do, kind of have a little bit different concerns than most people. And honestly, just like myself, the energy and the thought process around being a business owner is very different than being an employee. And you have to learn how to do both well. Uh, I will tell you, starting a business made me a far better employee because I started to realize that every little thing had a cost to it. And I started to appreciate my boss a lot more because in the past I would think holidays are, I'm entitled to that. Sick pay, I'm entitled to all of that. I saw those as entitlements, things I was entitled to, but now I can see they each have a cost. My boss worked on Christmas and New Year's because there was work to be done and I didn't. I had that time off and I was getting paid and they weren't. And I, in the past, I might have resented it how an employee or employer would make more money than I would. But now I can see, okay, they're taking the lion's share of the risk and they're also, they should take the lion's share of the rewards too. There's just definitely a different mindset and that book gets into how to shift that mindset so you can be successful. Yeah. To be success successful in the healing space too, because totally. yeah, I think it's such a giving space. I think healers naturally have that, that give in them because they want to help. They want to heal. They want to make people better. And it's really hard to marry that with business and understanding, you know, your own economics and, and how to be financially stable yourself and why you need to be right. Cause I, I think some people just want to just constantly give, but if you don't have enough to sustain yourself, that can't continue, right? As a you know, I always tell people, work. I always tell people when you're starting this kind of business, think about it in terms of I'm accepting money for my services so that I can do them from a nice, safe place so that I can have a nice car so that I'm not worried about putting food on the table. And the universe does require an exchange. When somebody brings a problem to me and says, how do I fix this? The universe requires a, an offering, right? Even when you go to church or temple, you're giving an offering. I bring my problems to this sacred space and there's an offering, um, you know, whatever, you put a couple bucks in the bucket, right? To have spirits help change that 
problem into something lighter and more beautiful. So the universe does require that. So so not charging for your services is really not beneficial to the customer either, right? Because they need to have a little bit of skin in the game. Part of being in a space of love is saying, I charge for my services. I have to accept payment for my services. I, I'll give you a quick example. When I, I go on hikes a lot, I like to go hiking. And sometimes I'll go on these meetup hikes and people will come up to me and want to tell me all their, oh my God, you're a hypnotherapist. I've got this problem. And I have to stop them and say, here, here, here's my card. I do this for a living, book an appointment because the the space that we're in, it's not really appropriate to be talking about how their husband's cheating on them around other people. Um, they're not really going to get the healing that they would get by making an appointment, but also I'm there to hike. I'm off. I'm off. Right. I'd be happy to tell you about it. And I'm happy to tell you how to make an appointment and how it can help you. But I, when we're talking about what the problem really is, that needs to be done in sacred space where sacred space has been declared and where the session, the conversation gets to be about you and nobody's listening. Does that make sense? Mm, makes so much sense. And that boundary is so clear when you do that, when you say that. And I think it's that's a stop sign. Really business important. card is a stop sign. Anybody who has a business right now and people are, are coming up to you constantly and telling you all of their problems, get a business card and start playing with, hey, this is what I do for a living. It's not really appropriate for us to be talking about this at the grocery store in line with all these people who, who may not be emotionally equipped to hear your problems. I mean, that's important to say to people, right? Um, so make an appointment. Bam. They may not do it, but at least you've said, here's a stop sign. I get paid for my services. You wouldn't go up to a doctor that you met in a grocery store and tell them all of your problems and ask for their advice for free. You wouldn't expect to do that. People need to learn how to set a boundary when it comes to that in a kind and respectful way. I love that. A business card is a stop sign. Yes, it is. <laughs> stop and make an appointment. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Respect and respect. And people need to remember to respect professionals because you are professional in what you do. And you um, have to so, demand, it starts with us though, demanding yeah. that respect too. Yeah. Quite frankly. A hundred percent, a hundred percent. So we have to ask you one final question because we ask every, all of our guests this question, of really? course, you're on resilient entrepreneurs. So we must ask you, what does the word resilience mean to you? I would say the ability to pivot. As an entrepreneur, you have to learn how to say, oh my gosh, there's no customers buying this product. Maybe I should pivot and offer something that more people are interested in. The ability to make adjustments and changes when you need to, but also not seeing, you know, like we talked about in July, not seeing the July slowdown as an indication that you're supposed to stop. Oh my God, God doesn't want me to do this business because she hasn't sent me any clients, right? That's not that's not what it means. It means maybe you need to make some adjustments to your messaging. Maybe you need to do 10 times as much messaging as you're actually doing, which is quite frankly, usually what's going on. Or maybe you need to adjust your prices or maybe what you're doing isn't resonating with the public or the public who wants your message isn't able to find it. There's usually something you need to do, but resilience really means just the ability to understand that there's more going on here and saying, look, I'm not stopping because the indications are, are that it's not working. I'm just going to make adjustments to figure out what does work. Yeah. And maybe it's not personal. You know? It's never personal. It's never personal, but I know we always think it is though. Right. Because it's, we, we, the only person we can change in the story is us. So it must be me. They don't love me. It's not true. <laughs> it's not true. It just means that maybe they're not getting the right message. Ah, uh, such a great sage, perfect advice to end on, um, to, to pivot when we need to, to be open 
And this has been a very open-minded conversation. And I wasn't sure what to expect when you came on the show. And I didn't know how this conversation was going to go. And I think it's just been so full of incredible advice about leaning into our own intuition and creating those boundaries in business. I think it's so key, not taking things personal, but being always open to the world and everything that is out there. And it's been amazing. So if anybody wants to book a session, hypnotherapy, (laughs) there's Jill K. Thomas. Um, We'll, of course, include your information in the show notes. People can find you. And she works remotely. So anybody anywhere in the world, you can just, you know, make sure she's awake because time zone, (laughs) time zone issues. But um, absolutely, it'll be incredible. Thank you so much, Jill. We really, really appreciate your time today. This was such an awesome, enlightening conversation. Well, thanks for having me. And thanks for what you guys do, because what you guys do is so important. It really is the age of the entrepreneur right now, especially if we start to head into an economic dumpster fire, which is what I think we're doing. Everybody, everybody needs to have a side hustle because your your boss is not should not be the only reason you get food on your table. You have to be able to make it yourself, even if you're doing that while you're doing a job. It, but it really is the age of the entrepreneur. So I'm really glad you're doing this. Thank you. You're fabulous, Jill. Thank you. Thanks so much, guys. Thanks. Take care. Appreciate you. Thanks. <laughs>